word for today is polymath. Polymath, a person of wide ranging knowledge or learning. Our next guest, Dr. Lisa Kane, fits that definition to a T. She is truly a Renaissance woman. We could talk to her about neuroscience or executive coaching or about her work as an associate dean at the University of Texas School of Dentistry. But in this episode, she's gracious enough to engage us as a folk artist, an award-winning folk artist. Her work can be seen in the film, A Journal for Jordan. And if that's not enough, Academy Award winner Viola Davis has purchased some of Lisa's work. Lisa's a big thinker, engaging storyteller, and a proud daughter of Mississippi. Next up on the Parlay in All Blue is Dr. Lisa Kane. Thank you again for joining us. Dr. Lisa Kane, welcome to the Parlay in All Blue. How are you? Thank you, Mr. Dawson. I am absolutely delighted to be here today. All right. Well, listen, and and Mr. Dawson is my father, so I'm just Mark, and I am so that's gonna have to be enough for me because I am I am super relaxed and informal, what have you. And listen, this is your time, so I want to make it sure that you are as comfortable as possible because you have such a rich background. And I do want to to get to your wonderful art, which here recently, at least for me, through sales of some to Viola Davis and her family and featured having it, some of featured in Journal for Jordan, the, the movie or what have you. Definitely want to get to that and talk about your journey to becoming an artist or what have you. But you're truly a Renaissance woman. So I want to make sure that we give the audience the privilege of hearing about your background and sort of what got you here. And then maybe that will even provide me at least with some insight in terms of the images that you've painted and and developed and and done in in the art world. Is that okay? Thank you, Mark. That's fine. Yeah. So let's go back to Canton, Mississippi, your hometown, and tell tell me about your upbringing and environment and, and, and how that shaped you. Yes, I am from Canton, Mississippi, very proud to be from Canton, Mississippi. In fact, the people there, my parents, they actually formed the foundation for my character. I think they formed the foundation for my success. I remember going to my church, Mount Hope Missionary Baptist Church, my father, Mr. Percy Lee Kane and Mrs. Bernice Kane. They were school teachers. And I can also think about the times when I would go into the garage and my father had books. Actually, the garage was our library. It was just packed with encyclopedias and books, Shakespeare, anybody that you could think of. And from my parents, I received that educational motivation. But from the people in my hometown, specifically also from my grandmother, Mrs. Lavernia Torrance, who died in 2015 at the age of 98, I discovered what it meant to be a loving individual. I discovered what it meant to serve individuals and to reach out and to connect. So I found out what it was really like to be 
a wonderful and outstanding person by being in Canton, Mississippi. And a lot of times you learn a lot in the textbook, but yeah. everything in life is not learned through a textbook. Some things are learned through your interactions with individuals. And I can definitely say that Canton, Mississippi, and the people that I grew up with, the people in my church and my family and my grandmother, they actually helped to make me who I am today. They helped to form my character. And I think that's very important because success, as I stated, does not solely depend on academics, but it also depends on the character and the and the personality of an individual. No, you're, you're, you're so right about that. And thank you for sharing because, you know, you can become, as we know and we see from people in public life, you can become very successful and have a poor character and really make things worse for everybody. So that character component is really important. Where is Canton? Canton is about 20 miles from Jackson, Mississippi. It's in central Mississippi, Okay. very close to the capital, Jackson. Got it. Population Got it. about 12,000. hasn't changed that much. Pop okay. small town. I would consider it to be a small town. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a Jackson State alumna uh, uh, alumnus, and my um, my roommate who was also in the boom my freshman year was from Canton. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I made it to to Canton. I don't think I did, but maybe I did. I don't remember making well, it to Canton. Canton is beautiful. In fact, if you go in the town, some of the buildings from the 1800s and 1900s still maintain their original form. In fact, when they feel when they film filmed a time to kill kill in Canton, Canton became the city of lights. When Nissan moved in, now it's the city of Nissan. So Canton is a very historical, very cultural, culturally rich town, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, did your your parents are were they from Canton or did they migrate there? My mother was from Kilmichael, Mississippi. My father is a native of Canton, Mississippi. My father and mother actually met at Jackson State University. Okay. I consider my father, Mr. Percy Lee Kane, to be the most brilliant person I've ever met. I mean, he was from a small home. His mother, Mrs. Lavernia Torres, pretty much worked in the fields all across working life, but he's extremely smart. He can speak German. He can speak Spanish. He was actually the first individual to do experiments on rats at Jackson State University. And not only that, I consider him a courageous man because of the fact that he was one of the first teachers to register to vote in, in Canton, Mississippi. And he was threatened with the loss of his job. But he said that if I cannot register to vote, how can I tell my students the importance of voting and how can I teach my students? So my father sacrificed a lot in order to just be a citizen and to vote and to register for vote because school meant everything to him. It meant so much. And he was the first person to go to college in his family, but he was willing to sacrifice his job as a teacher in order to vote. So I think my love for humanity, my uh, interest in diversity and inclusion, all stems from my basic foundation in Canton, my father, my grandmother. My grandmother provided a home for at least 10 other individuals who did not have a home. 
a place to stay at some point in their life. And she did that in addition to raising her two sons and she worked in the fields. So she was definitely one that left a legacy of service and love. Two things I want to go back to. One, around what time, what year or time period was that when your father was registering to vote? Now, I want to give people context on, on that. I mean, there's a lot that we take for granted now, but there's certain things that people had to go through in order for us to get here. So can you say a little bit more about that? Yes, that was in the beginning 60s, around 1960-61, during the time when the civil rights movement was really, really active. And he remembers seeing a lot, a lot of the civil rights workers. Dr. Martin Luther King was actually in the schoolyard across from our house. And when they bummed, well not bummed, but they put out tear gas, people actually came into our home to use the phone. So he remembers a lot of that. So yeah. during the early 60s. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it's uh, really important for people to understand that in the early 60s in Alabama and in Mississippi and in Georgia, where I am now and and, and across the South and, and across the country in many ways, that act of, of voting and registering to vote and that sort of expressing agency, you mentioned loss of, could, could lose a job or something, but there were people who lost lives and had homes burned or what have you. So there's a very courageous and, and bold act that we we take for granted. Now, I don't take it for granted, but I think the broader society takes for granted that we, did, we didn't get here without struggling, without people being courageous. Yes, and I think about Dr. King. We celebrated him yesterday. And to me, he was one of the greatest organizers yes. that has ever existed. He really appreciated the talent of all individuals. It did not matter what your occupation was. You could be a movie star. You could be a secretary, a a pastor, a preacher, a teacher. He knew how to utilize the talents of all individuals. So he was one of the greatest organizers that I've ever seen, in addition to being a very brilliant man. And a lot of times I tell people that sometimes your purpose, your ultimate purpose in life can be different than your job description. When I think about Dr. King and I read something that his wife wrote, she said that he was majorly concerned with being a Baptist minister, a preacher. But when you look at his life, he helped to revolutionize the civil rights movement. So although his job description was a Baptist preacher, his ultimate purpose in life was to revolutionize the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and listen, Certainly the civil rights movement, but I, you know, Dr. King at at this point is an international symbol of human rights. And I'm glad you pointed out his leadership because it's, it's very, we often narrow Dr. King down to his speeches and, and, and if, and if at all possible, narrow down just to the one speech of the March on Washington, I have a dream speech which is, is, was great, but it's just one of many things that he did. So his use of talent was definitely there. And he was also very strategic and very intentional. And then the other thing is, is, is again, back to his courage. I mean, he didn't ha- sacrifice and courage. He did not have to do this. And it took a whole lot of courage to do it. So we can never 
we cannot over celebrate Dr. King or over talk about his uh, his accomplishments. You you mentioned that. And Mark, yes. He also knew how to utilize his gift. He was given the gift of speech along with intellect. And he was an outstanding speaker. And he recognized that gift and he knew how to use it to not only touch the intellect, but he was able to move and touch the hearts of individuals. And sometimes as leaders, as educators, or whatever job position we're in, it's so important not only to touch the intellect, but to also to move the heart. Oh, amen. Amen to that. that listen, we might have to open up church here in a minute uh, <laughs> because you, 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 you're dropping a lot of, lot of gems on us. We appreciate that. Listen, I want to ask you, you said your grandma worked in the uh, in the fields, so what, d- doing what? She picked cotton. Okay. And when I was a little girl, I picked with her. In fact, when I was really little, she would pull me on her sack. And to me, a lot of people think about the cotton fields as hard work. And yes, it was hard work. But my grandmother, she was absolutely outstanding. I don't ever remember her buying me one doll or any materialistic item, but she gave me herself. She spent time with me. She she made me feel like I was the most wonderful person in the world. And so that was so important. That was so important, the time that she spent with me. And so from her, I just I learned how to be a very loving human being. I remember one day we were breaking for lunch in the fields. And it was someone who did not have lunch that day. And so everyone else, they didn't say, I don't remember his name, but they didn't say, John, uh, why don't you have food or what happened to your food? Everyone became a little less hungry. And they started saying, oh, I think I'm full, huh, John? Do you want a piece of this biscuit? Uh, Here, do you want a piece of this meat? And so people knew how to see about each other, to love each other, to take care of each other. And that's what I really learned from her. I mean, I learned the importance of love and how important love is. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now you also, just to go back, and, and I may have said this at the beginning, you are truly a Renaissance woman. Uh, you are what they call a polymath. I'm going to, to, to roll out here the things or, or roles that you play. Folk artist, we'll get to that. Neuroscientist, executive, activist, traveler, educator, coach. You are a department head there. So listen, you you got a lot there. And so you leave Canton and you go to Jackson State and talk more about sort of your your experiences, academic experiences and professional experiences that have sort of prepared you and and led you to do all of these things, which is a whole lot? I think, first of all, I have a deep faith in God, me as an individual, and that helped me, first of all, to go through my journey. Second, I have always been, never been fearful. I mean, it was very hard for anyone to tell me what I could not do, no matter how difficult the road or the pathway may seem. I believe that I could do it. I could achieve it. It was hard to tell me what I could not achieve. Uh, Jackson State University, I went to Jackson State University, was Miss Jackson State University in 1984, and it provided a, a wonderful foundation for me. Before I went to Jackson State, I graduated from Holy Child Jesus High School. 
and Canton, Mississippi. But it was wonderful to attend Jackson State because a lot of the instructors there, they not only taught you about academics, but they gave you little lessons on life. Yeah. So they prepared you to go out into the world. For sure. And that's one thing that I really remember about Jackson State, in addition to being an outstanding academic institution. So when I went to the University of Mississippi Medical Center, I graduated from the honors program at Jackson State University with a BS in biology. I matriculated to the University of Mississippi Medical Center, worked on my PhD in anatomy. I was recently recognized as the outstanding alumnus on behalf of the Graduate School of Biomedical Science at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Actually, I was the first African-American in 14 years to be recognized. And so I'm very, very proud of that. But when I went there, I had, of course, if we go back, my home foundation, yep, Canton, Mississippi Foundation. I had that Holy Child Jesus High School, Canton School Foundation. I had Jackson State University there. Jackson State had prepared me and I had my belief system. And all of that helped me to, in fact, I was the second African-American to graduate from the Department of Anatomy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So all of that helped me to matriculate and to stay strong and to do what I needed to do. I was a hard worker. I learned how to work hard from my parents, from my grandmother. I mean, I knew how to work hard. Hard work did not deter me. And I believed in my ability to achieve. I believed that if I wanted to do it, that I can do it, that I could definitely achieve what I wanted to do. From there, after I got my PhD or received my PhD, I wanted to diversify my research experience. So I performed a postdoc at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in Piscataway, New Jersey at the Center for Biotechnology and Medicine. And I was a neuroscientist, so I delved into the world of neuroscience, the brain, and how the brain functions, and that excited me. Then I also taught anatomy. I've been teaching comparative anatomy. I mean, a gross anatomy. I started off with comparative, but I've been teaching gross anatomy, the dissection of the human body, for over 30 years. And that's just fascinating to me. And leadership. As I matriculated through my academic career, there were opportunities to speak out, to help others. When I left Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, I became an assistant professor at the University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston. There again, I was a neuroscientist looking at spinal cord development and brain development and teaching gross anatomy. And then I got involved in helping underrepresented minority students to matriculate into medical school. And then I ended up being in leadership in faculty development. So I could go on and on and on, but that's the beginning of my pathway. Yeah, well, but there is something that I I think that I'm sensing here is that um, you are a big thinker or or certainly have a a broad vision. And you talked about, you know, your foundation there and with your your grandparents, your grandmother and your parents. And I can sense faith is a big part of it. But what do you think sort of shaped the idea of just just living without those limitations and thinking big. Because, listen, I, I think that many of us, and I'm talking, when I say many of us, I'm talking about many of us humans, 
race, ethnicity, gender aside, tend to tend to limit sort of what we can do. And then you double it when you start to get into whether a person's black or whether a person's woman or or what have you. What do you think sort of shaped you to to really think big? I think it's a couple of things. I think my, I didn't mention my mother, Mrs. Bernice Kane. I have to mention her name. She was a history teacher. I mentioned my father. I did not see my parents set limitations on themselves. Okay. So I think looking at them and their life helped. My grandmother struggled and made it. And I think I have an innate characteristic of her. I have her strength. I have her strength. And like I said, I think my spiritual belief, my belief that if I pray and if I work hard, I, I can I can do it. And so I've never believed in just limiting myself. If I can dream it, I will try to do it. Like I hold multiple roles now, like you said, neuroscientist, yep. educator, leader, executive leadership coach. Yep. I hold leadership on a local level, on a regional level, and also on a national level. And I think it's just something I believe everyone is born with a purpose in life. And sometimes it will take you time to figure out what that purpose is. And sometimes that purpose purpose will evolve as you go through life. Not everybody is meant to do the same thing all of their existence. It can change as you travel through life. But I definitely know that now my purpose in life is to create positive impact and create positive impact on a huge level, on a large level. And so I think it's just something inborn inside of me. I'm just one of these individuals that if I want to try it, I will try it. And I don't hesitate to put everything I have behind to achieve it. And I've been told a lot of times what as an African-American female, yeah. I have been told many times what I cannot do and what I may not be capable of doing or what I should not do. But I just keep on moving. I keep on moving. You know, sometimes I think about Ralph Ellison. Yep. who wrote the book, The Invisible Man. And he said that in words, they see you, but they do not see you. But he actually said that when they approach me, they see only my surroundings themselves or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me. So as an African-American woman traveling through up the career ladder, a lot of times I have felt that me as an individual and my talents were sometimes rendered invisible. And that's not just me. That's a lot of people of color, a lot of minorities that I've run into. But somehow you have to just keep pushing forward. You can't let that hinder you. You keep moving forward and you keep making your talents visible. I always tell people, you cannot take a candle and put it in a box as long as, as, long as there's air in that box and not expect that candle to illuminate. So if you have talent, if you have brilliance, if you have care and love for others, you will illuminate. It's going to be very hard to be contained. And I am normally not one that's easily contained. No, no, listen, I I knew that going in. So I, I, I didn't, so although I've known about we were Jackson State at different times, so I've known about you. I haven't known you, but in the brief time that I I, I know you, that listen, if somebody thinks you are you are invisible, 
you will quickly become super visible. I don't I don't think that you are one that's gonna take it, lay it down. So I listen, hey, more power to you. I, I, I can sense that you are definitely living your your creed. You mentioned the whole idea of not being tied to one thing. You are an accomplished and recognized folk artist at this point. After doing all of those things, what sort of led you to expressing that that talent? I've always been creative in terms of thought. And being creative involves a lot of things that you do in work in, in regards to writing and, and coming up with solutions, coming up with projects. So creativity spans across the spectrum. I... Strangely enough, when I used to go in a thrift store, I would sometimes find these art books, and it was art that was folk art. And I would pick it up and shove it up under my TV, and I never would look at it. But as I started to look at artists, I said, hmm, let me try painting. So I sat down one day, and I tried to paint. And I ended up painting about growing up in rural Mississippi. And I didn't know what I was painting. I realized it was called folk art because my style of art is folk art. I am an artist, an untrained artist. I've never had an art lesson in my life other than what you take in school, in elementary school and high school. So I paint about, I put put my memories, I'm considered to be a memory painter. Folk artists are normally untrained. They sometimes start to paint paint later on in life. They don't necessarily paint when they're 10 and 12 and 13, like Clementine Hunter, Grandma Moses, Moss Tolliver were famous folk artists. And they're either visionary artists, memory artists, outsider artists, but I'm a memory artist. So I paint about my memories of growing up in Canton, Mississippi. And that's the way that I hold tight to my culture and I stay grounded. So I put the story of the people that I grew up with on canvas, people that you may not ever read about in a magazine or see on TV, but the richness of their life. The people that I grew up with, they were strong. They were brilliant. A lot of them did not have the opportunity to go to college, but they were brilliant, strong. They believed in God. They believed in each other. They loved nature. They were proud. And I put their life on canvas and I enjoy that. I tell their story. I tell my story. I tell the story of my grandmother and the stories that she used to tell. And um, I will continue to paint as long as I can, because I will continue to tell that rich historical story. Well, let's 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 pull some of this up. And for those of you listening, I will also share Lisa's work on the show's Instagram page so that you can enjoy it too. Lisa, I'm going to share your work here. They're going to talk about a couple of of pieces. Let me let me get myself right here. Okay, there we are. All right. So let's start with Through the Woods and Back Again. Yes, Through the Woods and Back Again. Typically, I am an acrylic painter. But recently, about two years ago, I started to experiment with mixed media. And this is a mixed media piece. It's a combination of acrylic painting and also photography. And in this picture, you will see 
an older man and a young boy coming yeah. from the woods. And my son, Marcus Smith, who's working on his PhD in African-American studies at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, actually helped me to title this painting. Okay. So in this painting, the concept is you see a young boy who went into the forest and mm. he came out as an old man. So it's like a transition. It's like walking through life. These two individuals that. have walked through life. Some people may see a grandfather and a grandson. But in my mind, I see someone that went through life as a young individual and someone who has come out of life or come through life as a wise older man. I love that. I love that. All right. Let's go to this next one. The the rapture. This painting, The Rapture, was recently purchased by the Academy Award winner by Ola Davis and her husband. Yes. In fact, she has it in her breakfast room. So I am very excited and thankful to Mrs. Davis for purchasing this painting. And this is my traditional style of, style of painting. It's acrylic on canvas. And you can see the angels, people are rising up from their homes, going to hopefully, since they're angels, heaven. And this is symbolic of the rapture, the last day. And very much something that's grounded in my religious faith as a Baptist. When they used to talk to us in church about the rapture, a lot of times I will paint this. You can see the cemetery in the back, the church and the cemetery. A lot of times I will just simply do a church and tombstone. And the idea came from my father and the deacons used to clean the church yard. And when they would clean the church yard, they knew everybody in the cemetery. And they would joke and talk about when this person would rise and go up to heaven or when when certain individuals would rise and go up to heaven on the last day. And this is the rapture. Awesome. And and how did Viola Davis... How did she become aware of this work? And and congratulations, by the way. Uh, How did she become aware of it? An art consultant actually found my art on the Internet and passed it on to her interior director. She has an interior director for her home. And then the interior director shared it with Mrs. Davis. And she looked at it. And this is the painting that she liked. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Congratulations. Let's go to the next one. The juke joint. The juke joint was actually rented to be on the set of the movie, A Journal for Jordan. And this is a mixed media. And this is a typical juke joint. When you're in a small country town, one form of entertainment was the hunky-tonk, the juke joints. People would go, have a good time, dance. It was safe, fun. They would enjoy each other. And so this picture actually depicts people dancing and having a fun at, at the local juke joint. And this was put on the set of the movie A Journal for Joy. Got it. And we will get to another one that's in the Journal for Jordan too, but let's go let's go to the water bucket. The water bucket is a mixed media painting. And I created this painting from a story that my father told me. My father said that if you were a young man, you could not drink from the water bucket on the, a young boy, you could not drink from the water bucket on the porch until you became of age, a young man, around 18, 17. 
And he said that once you became a young man and you could drink from that water bucket, that you were so proud. He said sometimes on the water dipper, that would be snuff stains. and But it didn't matter <laughs> because you were so proud right. because you could finally drink from the water bucket. And this is what this picture represents. You can see the little boy in the foreground wanting to drink from the bucket, but he can't because he's not of age yet. But one day he can drink from that water bucket. So I want to stop there just for a minute. And uh, I mean, you said this, but it's clear that you are expressing the memories of your family and of your culture not just your culture as an African-American woman, but you are expressing a very specific culture uh, of the South as well. Yes, yes. I put the stories of the South on canvas. You know, there is so much richness, so many stories that that are no longer talked about, uh, we don't hear about. So I think my art is another avenue to tell those stories, is to tell the historical stories that people will forget about if somebody does not capture those stories. And we want to capture those and keep that cultural history alive. Amen. Let's go to Ruby's Place. Ruby's Place is an acrylic painting, another version of a juke joint outside instead of inside. And again, it comes from Canton, Mississippi and hearing about the entertainment and the juke joints and people having fun. And this is just another version. It's not not mixed media. It's actually acrylic on canvas. And which which now you 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 do both really well, but you said you started just with sort of the acrylics. Is that do I have that right? Yes. Acrylics on canvas. I will always be an acrylic on canvas painting. That's my foundational art style. The mixed media, the, the acrylic on canvas, people say it makes them smile. The mixed media, people say, takes them to a deeper place, makes them think a little bit harder. It dives deeper into in, in regards to relaying a message. So I like both. I like both. I think my favorite will always be acrylic on canvas. And that's the one that I, I don't think I will ever stop doing. Got it. Okay. Let's do let's do this and one. May Wash I say thing. something, Mark? Yes, please. When I started out being an artist, you know, there are a lot of outstanding artists out there. And for any young person that may who who loves art and may be watching. And but they have not had their picture in a movie. Or I have two paint I have uh, paintings on Netflix television shows. I've been in the Museum of the Mississippi Delta. And people may say, how did you do it? And again, it goes back to thinking big. When I first became an artist, I contacted one of the most well-known folk art galleries in the United States, Marshall Weber's Art Objects, and said, would you please take on my art? Also, Graves Country Gallery. And so some people would say, you were bold enough to contact an, a folk art gallery that has well-known folk artists. I'm like, why not? All they can do is tell me no. And I think that's part of leadership. In order to be an, an effective leader, you have to take risk. You have to not be afraid to go that extra mile of the way. And that's what is allowing me today. I'm chair elect of the group on faculty affairs for the AAMC. 
And that attitude is what allows me to represent over 800 faculty affairs leaders across the United States, not being afraid to go that extra mile of the way and believing that I can do it. Yeah. Now, hey, hey, and listen, we definitely need to hear that, or at least I do, because closed mouths don't get fed. So if you want something, you have to go for it. Now, I, I wanted to wash day here. This is something that I've seen similar or not, not in terms of style or anything, but this theme of wash day. I've seen it in Charleston with the Gullah Geechee. And I've also seen it from some African artists as well. And so this kind of this this wash day took me to a couple of different places in seeing it that are that are connected throughout Africa and African Americans and what have you. Yes, before there were dryers and washing machines, people washed clothes outside and hung them on the line. I mean, in fact, yeah. even when I remember my mother, even when we got a dryer. She used to say, oh, let me just put the clothes on the line. I just like how the sun hits the clothes and what the sun does to the clothes on the line. So this is just a tra- tradition, specifically with African-American women. We know we used to hang clothes. I remember my grandmother washing. I remember my my uh, mother and I hanging clothes on the line. This is just a natural Southern tradition. For women, and not only probably southern anywhere before they had washer and dryers, and you can see also, Mark, the young lady, the young girls learned from their mothers. They were taught yeah. how to be women. They were taught how to do housework. They were taught how to do cook. So the mothers were the examples for the daughters coming up. I like that. I like that. That's a theme. That sort of that there's a hierarchy and there's an order. And that the learning is by experiencing. It's not just in the books. It's by experiencing and passing it on and being intentional. I I like that. Let's go to this one, Patch Quilt. Yes, quilting. The second painting I painted was a quilting painting called Conversations with Grandmother. First painting I ever painted that I considered serious art was a preacher preaching in the church. My grandmother taught me how to quilt. I used to love quilting with her. And so you will always see a patch quilt. And the way that she used to quilt, her sister used to sew. And they just had bits and pieces of cloth. So she would give her a bag with different types of cloth. And so she would just take those pieces and just piece them together. So it wasn't like one type of decoration with a flower decoration or it wasn't one color. It was a multitude of different pieces. I have those quilts. I have about four of her quilts now. When I was a little girl or going into college or even a young lady, I didn't even think about the value. I would go, you know, use them on the bed, put them outside, set on on the ground when we were having a picnic. But now they're actually objects that I cherish and I consider them to be works of art. So I can quilt. I can quilt. I can fish. I can plant in the garden. I, I can do all of that. Pick chitin, I can do that. All right. I used to love walking barefoot in, in, in the in the country. I'm a country girl. All right, all right. Well well so so let's let's go to something that appears to be in the country here, and this is a, a very important one, the baptismal. I was baptized in a pond at the age of nine. 
exactly like you see in the white gown with the white cap, except I remember looking at the cows on the opposite end of the pond. That was kind of fascinating to me that day. But the baptismal ceremony is one of the most sacred ceremonies that you will ever encounter. It's a sign of new life, new creation. It was a special day. We were seeing Wade in the water. It was just a beautiful day. And then after being baptized, you would go to church and get the right hand of fellowship and people would walk around and welcome you into your new life. And so that's the way I was baptized at the age of nine with a white gown and a white little hat on. Your work is very beautiful and very important too. I'm I'm getting I'm getting more out of this than I even thought just going through this. So we're gonna we're gonna hit some more too. Sunday service. Church was the center of my life. My father is the chair of the deacon board. He's been a deacon for so many ever since he was 20 years old and he's 80 something. He's been a deacon. I don't remember I rarely remember not going to church. I don't, I can count the times on probably two hands that I did not go to church and went Sunday school. And he did not ask me twice to get up and go either. Okay. He would ask me one time, get up, time to go. But that's yeah. the center of our life. Church was a place for spiritual worship, it was a place for socialization. Back then, they did. They had Deacons Corporation and the Missionary Society, and they would help and raise money for people in the community. So the church served a multitude of purposes. Awesome. Billy Holiday. Sometimes when I see things on TV, like I saw the movie The Help, and I have a picture of of a maid, but I watched the movie Billy Holiday, and I was fascinated how about how she used her voice in the civil rights movement. And she sang the song, Southern Trees Bear Strange Fruit. So this is a depiction of Billie Holiday. You can see the tree in the background that symbolizes the death that occurred because of the things, the horrible things that they were doing to people in those days, the lynchings. But you can see the beautiful flowers that represent the beauty of her spirit and her care. And she gave what she could to humanity, which was her voice. And people have yeah. different gifts. We don't all share the same gifts and the same talents. I just read a book by President Barack Obama, his latest book. Yeah. And in the first chapter, I think few pages, he talked about the man who was working in the White House garden, who took care of the flowers. And he talked about how you could see a little arthritis in his hands and he was asking him, you know, about how long he was going to continue. And the man smiled and said, well, you know, I think I'll keep on going a few more years. That was his gift. You yeah. know, he may not have been president or in Congress, but he took pride in keeping that White House yard beautiful. And specifically with the fact that it was a, he was an African-American man and you, now he had an African-American president. I mean, that was his joy making sure that when President Barack Obama stepped and looked in that garden, that it was beautiful. So we have to embrace our talents and we have to really, it's very important to respect the talents of all individuals. Some of my greatest supporters when I was in, did my postdoc were the people who were the janitors. I remember yep. when I was in the Center for Advanced Biotechnology and Medicine, didn't have a lot of money, was a postdoc. 
they would always have these fancy dinners for Nobel Prize winners and other scientists. And so the people who were the custodians or the people who were serving the food would come up to my lab at night. Hey, doc, they call me doc. There's food on the fourth floor left over. I mean, they don't realize how important it was to someone who did not have a lot of money, who was working in labs still and wanted a meal that evening. So you have to appreciate the talents of everyone. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. And and your your talents go to serve. Like you talked about, about the man at the White House who's a gardener, you know, gardening his whole life to finally serve not just a black president, but a black family. You know, I mean, just the, in the White House, that had to be very special. Now, this one is in a journal for Jordan, a yellow flower. Yes. And this one you can actually see is after he proposes to her. And she's sitting at the table, the main actress, talking to her good friend. And you can see this yellow flower in the background. And it was surprising because I did not expect them to select this flower. I've only painted two yellow flower paintings. And when they selected this one, it was a big surprise to me. Because normally I don't paint flowers. I paint, you know, people doing things. But this painting is in the movie. Yeah, no, when I saw this one... I I was like, okay, this one, I like it, but it doesn't fit the other images. So I'll thank you for that, that, that explanation and congratulations again. That's, that's awesome. Moses, Harriet Tubman. This is my, probably my favorite, one of my favorite mixed media paintings. I watched the movie about Harriet, Harriet Tubman and read a book about her. And what struck me, you know, we hear about how she went through the Underground Railroad and took so many people to freedom. But Harriet Tubman had a deep faith and she was guided by her faith in God. And some of the things that she talked about when you read about her life, about how God guided her and certain things would happen that she didn't expect. So she was guided by her faith as dictated by the hymn book, but she also didn't play as dictated by the gun by, on the ground by, by her uh, on her other side. So Harriet Tubman, and you can see the people in the background that she led to freedom that's, you know, symbolic of the people that she led to freedom. And so this is one of my most favorite mixed media paintings. She was led, she didn't play, but she was also strongly guided by her higher power. Yeah, yeah. You know, if Harriet Tubman had only freed her family, she would be a hero. But she took at least 19 other trips back to free other people. And also, if she and if she had done that, that would be, you know, enough. But I think a lot of people don't know that Harriet Tubman is actually the first woman to lead troops in battle in war. And she did it in the Civil War, the Cahumbe River Raid there in South Carolina. And people can look it up, the Cahumbe River Raid. She did the advanced work as a spy and in the intelligence and then went back to the general who was over the, the, the forces there and led a river raid and raiding plantations there in South Carolina and freeing people. There were hundreds of people freed in that, that one raid. There's, there's, Harriet Tubman is, is an extraordinary individual. I mean, one of the most extraordinary Americans, period. And it's one of those things of whenever I come across Harriet Tubman is, is that 
only talking about her in the context of what she did for for black people, which is a whole lot, actually misses the point. It's her courage, like you said, going by faith, and then the practicality of I'm not playing either. I, I, I Harriet Tubman, I can't say enough. So I, I really like that one too. Let's let me move on. She was fascinating, and you know what I would like to mention is that to me. When I sit down and retire, and I'm sure she probably felt this way, it's the ability to sit down and think about what you have done for others that Amen. make that brings you peace and enjoyment. On January the 13th, uh, the mayor of the city council of Galveston named that Dr. Lisa Kane Day. Really? And it was not because of my neuroscience. It yeah. was not because of teaching anatomy, but it was because of my work with all of the students who were trying to get into school. So I say now that if I had to sit down, my greatest fulfillment in life would be from the hundreds of students that I've had the ability to help and to influence in their life. And that's where my happiness comes from. That's where my greatest impact has been. And I think that's how I feel like I have used my education, like Harriet Tubman used her skill, her faith, her wisdom to help others. That's what's important if we can do that. If we can use our talents to reach back and reach forward, then we will be at peace. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we're going to have time for one more here. This is the long walk home. Yes, this actually won an award, a painting that won an award. And again, you have a mother and a daughter. Church is the center. You can see church again. And a lot of times people will walk to church from their home. And this mother and daughter, they're leaving church and they're walking. And I like the composition of this one because it's basically, it's not a lot of colors, but it's yellow and green. And so I just had a good time just working with green and using color. I use color to kind of to take mood or to, to express mood. And there you can see it's kind of somber, kind of peaceful, kind of quiet, not a lot of color going on, but it shows the, the richness of that church scene and that mother and daughter walking home. One more, one more. Never alone. Now, this is definitely different. <laughs> OK, yeah. it's a mixed media. And this man, again, church is walking down the pathway and behind him, he can feel and he can visualize an angel. And this, it could be his sister, it could be his mother, it could be his wife, wife doing his youth, but it says never alone. And so it shows that he has a presence with him. All right, that is awesome. So Lisa, there are so many that we could go through here, but I'm going to, in the interest of time, listen, and for those listening, I will put all of these on the show's Instagram page. But uh, Dr. Kane, where where could people find your art if they wanted to see more? They can go to my website, lisacain.org, L-I-S-A-C-A-I-N.org, and they can see my art on my website. Awesome. Awesome. So as we wrap up here, I want to ask uh, just a question that we ask everyone on the Parlay and All Blue. There's, there's, there's one question that we ask everyone, but there's one question that we reserve for people from the 
my my sort of origin triangle, Chicago, Alabama, and Mississippi, and those three places shaped me and they're often misunderstood. But you being a Mississippian, what makes Mississippi beautiful in ways that people who only know it from either media or movies or what have you may not get? I think what makes Mississippi awesome And when I think about the people that have surrounded me and just people all over, it's the warmth that you will feel, the connection with each other that people have, the simplicity that they depict in life. It's simple, but and also complex in a way because they know how to connect with each other and celebrate with each other and elevate one another. And I think actually it's the people, the people and their appreciation of the nature and their surroundings that make Mississippi a beautiful place. The warmth that you feel. What does it mean to live well? To me, living well means impacting others in a positive manner. I've heard this saying that says if you're too wrapped up in self, the package that you deliver will be too small to make a difference. For me, living well is making sure that others live well and making sure that others are happy and expressing that in addition to academia and intellect, that sometimes the word love is left out of the picture. And if I can show love, render service and make a difference in the lives of others, where when I'm 80, 90 years old, I can sit back in my chair and just think about people that I have touched, that's wonderful. There's something that I call, you know, you don't live for, you don't live forever, but the works that you do and the impact that you do can live on through people over a period of time. And I call that generational impact, generational influence. So when I think about my students or faculty that I have influenced and the people that they're going to reach out to and make an impact on, I know then that Lisa Kane, a part of Lisa Kane, will be living forever. Maya Angelou said that people may not remember what you do necessarily or yeah. what you say, but people will remember how you make them feel. And I am hoping that somewhere along this pathway that I have made others happy. I like that. Now, you have also had the opportunity to to travel, right? As we, you know, and you've been to the continent of Africa a couple of times. I think Ghana. Ghana, Eritrea, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Talk to me about, uh, you know, some food that you ate there that was good, or what did you like to eat there, or anything? Or did Chicken. you? Chicken in any form that you can you can bake it. Curry chicken, baked chicken. I enjoyed eating chicken. Really, right. and Africa is just such a, a wonderful place. The people there are just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant individuals, and and it's just a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I haven't been as much as I would like. I've been a couple of times, and I really wish that more people would either have the opportunity to go or if you have the opportunity to go to just take the initiative and go. The people of Africa are so rich and I'm not talking about in things, but rich in terms of their spirit, in terms of things like family and faith 
and sharing and um, the laughter is very rich and it's, you know, it's full and, you know, people, you can see the intelligence, even when people have not necessarily had the opportunity for a lot of formal education, you can see the intelligence and the wisdom in people. And so I wish more people would have the opportunity to go, or at least go if you do have the opportunity. All right. And and as we wrap up, one more, if you, if you will afford me, you're, you're an avid reader. What's your favorite book? Oh, my one of my favorite books is A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines. And I can tell you why. He writes about a young man who has to go and face death, the death chamber. Really not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong, but he still has to because of you no know, prejudice and and belief systems. He has to face the death chamber. And he says that if you have nothing left but death, the manner, even the manner in which you face death and the manner in which you die can be significant and of importance. And that's the first book that really made me cry. I think the only book that has made me cry, just to know that the manner in which you die can even be significant. Like that. And that, that is a good place to end this one. Dr. Lisa Kane, thank you so much for sharing your time. And thank you for sharing your artwork. And, uh, you know, for those of you listening, go and check it out and take away so many, so many things here. Purpose, dreaming big and thinking big and really going for it and not allowing yourself to be reduced to being invisible. So, so much here. Thank you again. We really appreciate having you. And for everyone else, thank you for joining us on the Parlay in All Blue. Dr. Kane, if you can wait, I will take some time to say bye to everyone else. We appreciate you here at the Parlay in All Blue. Please tell someone about us. Share the podcast. Make sure you leave a comment. You can find the Parlay in All Blue at Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon or Stitcher, wherever you receive your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure that you add us as a favorite, follow us or subscribe, whatever it is you need to do to make sure that you're plugged in. We want to say a big thanks to DJ Market G for allowing us to use his music exclusively on our podcast. We appreciate it, bro. Much love. Thank you again. I'm out.